Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. In just a few minutes. Uh, today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors. 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Our play-by-play call of the day. The Dodgers, for the first time since 88, world champions. No balls, two strikes, two out. Urias to Adamas. Call strike three. The Dodgers win. Finally, the wait is over. The Dodgers are the champions of 2020. Charlie Steiner with the call on the Dodgers radio network. Urias was outstanding, wasn't he? But isn't it typical in this World Series it ended on a strikeout? No World Series had more strikeouts than this one ever. All right. Let's bring in Aaron Kazinitz from Penn Live, Ravens reporter. Welcome. Great to have you with us on the show today, Aaron. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you doing? Doing really well. So the Ravens, with the Steelers being 6-0, and and they've garnered, obviously, a lot of publicity. The Chiefs are the Chiefs, even though they have one loss. Do you feel in some ways the Ravens have played in some ways under the radar? Yeah, to phrase the question, and it, it's almost strange because last year they were they were the breakout stars, right? I mean, I mean, Lamar Jackson was unanimous MVP, and, and the way they got that offense rolling uh, down the stretch last year, the Ravens were kind of the the hot shots of the NFL. But this year, a little bit so, partly because they had sort of a soft schedule that you know beat up on the Bengals and Washington. And probably because the offense hasn't been. As have been the the dominant, you know, spotless group it was last year. Lamar Jackson has struggled a little bit at times, certainly to move the ball down the field. And the running game that broke records last year, they still lead the league in rushing, but it's it's they're averaging about 40 uh, rushing yards per game less this year than last year, and it's just not as efficient as it was. So they are playing a little bit under the radar, but so, you know, at five and one, they're they're still very much in the thick yeah, of sir. it. And uh, Sunday's yeah. game will be a big one. Yeah, they're certainly terrific. There's no getting around it. But in their last seven games, they are five and two. Five and one the season, the loss to Tennessee. The two losses have something in common. Obviously, played really good teams. But the two losses have something in common. The Ravens fell behind. Is that the biggest concern with that offense that they don't have the ability to come back? I think it's, it's certainly a concern. Um, they have not won a game since Lamar Jackson has been the starter, in which they've trailed by 10 points or more. 
you know, it's a small sample size because they, they often are leading. Um, but yeah, that, that's the concern. They don't they don't spread the field and air it out. They're not built to to do what a lot of these other teams do. They're not built to do what the Chiefs do and, and even what the Steelers do um, offensively, and, and that's kind of the recipe. Uh, the Ravens play very disciplined. Uh, their defense has been really been in top five defense the last few years, and their running game has, has been productive, so it's, it's hard to get ahead of them, but, but you're right. Once you do, that that's kind of the recipe, and we've seen Lamar Jackson struggle a little bit in those games. And we've seen the Ravens lose those games when, when an opponent is able to, to strike first. What have you thought of Lamar Jackson this season? You want to see somebody get a little bit better each year. Is he a little bit better? That's a good question. I don't think he's regressed in the sense that, you know, he he's let mechanics slip or anything like that. Uh, but the offensive line is not as good. They had a, a basically a, a potential Hall of Fame right guard Marshall Yonda retired in March and you know they, they replaced him with the rookie Tyree Phillips is doing alright there right guard but you know obviously it's, it's not a it's, it's an apples to apples replacement there uh, so the offensive line isn't doing as well the Ravens they, they really haven't found a number three playmaker in the offense uh, he relies a lot on his top receiver is top tight end, but he doesn't have a third guy he's been going to, which is different than the Steelers, where, where Roethlisberger's been able to mix the ball around a lot this year. So uh, certainly at this point, Jackson's numbers are a little bit down from what we saw last year on the whole, um, and I don't think the Ravens' offense is clicking as much. How much of that is on Lamar Jackson is tough to say because, you know, he, certainly he's the quarterback. He can make other players around him better, but I also think the, the quality around him has dropped a little bit this year. Between Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, and J.K. Dobbins, who do you think should end up being the guy that becomes more the full-time guy in this? I really still think that Mark Ingram's the guy that they'd like to rely on uh, a lot. I think J.K. Dobbins will eventually, you know, next year, I'd be surprised if J.K. Dobbins wasn't, wasn't the starter and that kind of full-time guy. Uh, but I think the Ravens still really like Mark Ingram. I, I think he kind of does the most out of those three guys. He's the most versatile um, he's a guy who brings a lot of energy, but he missed today's practice with his ankle. He sprained uh, two weeks ago against, against Philly. Uh, the word is kind of that, that it's going to be a day-to-day thing, so it's possible he won't play this week against the Steelers. But I think if he's healthy, he's still the number one guy, and we'll see all three of them get carried in, in pretty much every game. What's it been like watching a guy like Patrick Queen operate defensively? Yeah, yeah. So he was fun to watch at, at uh, LSU when they were making their their playoff run. And, and uh, what's impressive with him is that he's he's playing really fast, and he's just a playmaker. Um, he's got a touchdown already. He's got a couple forced fumbles, two sacks. You know, he, certainly he maybe he's made a mistake or two in coverage here or there, and he's going to get better at that, I'd imagine. But um, to be able to make plays within your first six games like that, to be able to make an impact on games from the middle linebacker, on games from from the middle linebacker position, that that's what's been impressive. They only have three picks so far. How concerned are they with the with with the inability to make big plays in the secondary? Yeah, it, it's interesting because they, they only have three picks, but they lead the league with uh, eight forced fumbles, which is interesting. Um, they do have Marcus right, Peters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and they have Marcus Peters who's kind of been the NFL's interception king the last couple of years. He's got the most interceptions since the end of the league in 2015. And, and Marlon Humphrey only has one interception, but he's got three of those forced fumbles. So I, I think because of that, they're okay. But it's certainly something to watch. 
particularly when you're playing a Ben Roethlisberger, who um, as great as Ben Roethlisberger is, has, has, he's got that knack for taking risks, and, and you want to be able to convert on those big plays. So I, I think that's a big storyline of of Sunday's game is, is you know Ben's going to gonna take those risks. Can the Ravens capitalize with a pick or two? Because you might need that uh, considering how close this game is, is likely to be. How have the Ravens been against the run? The run defense uh, has been pretty good. It, it, the first week they put the Browns, so a very good rushing offense, second-ranked rushing offense. They did not fare very well. Things have been better in recent weeks. Um, they haven't played great great rushing offenses in recent weeks. Uh, Brandon Williams is a very good nose tackle, and Calais Campbell, their, their new defensive end, five-time Pro Bowl, is considered one of the better run stoppers. So. Um, they have been they have been pretty good against the run. It'll be interesting, you know, to see how how the Steelers attack them because you know they're going to drop a, a very specific game plan. Um, whether or not they go back to the short passing game that that Roethlisberger had success with last week, uh, that that could be a way. But but um, it's not it's not going to be the easiest game for James Conner and the running game to get going. I also find what's interesting is that when I look at the twenty two sacks. I see linebackers, safeties, and corners getting sacks. Now, Campbell is the one guy up front with four. I mean, is this a team that's really relying on the blitz to get sacks? Yeah, 100%. Uh, so the Ravens traded last week for Yannick Ngakwe, who's a one-time Pro Bowl outside linebacker. And that's a guy who, who really should just be an edge rusher who, who can beat his guy and, and pile up some sacks. Um, but the Ravens have really bound up blitzes. They won game against the Bengals where they had five different defensive backs get a sack, and uh, we were told from PR that they couldn't find any, any other game where that's happened in, in the NFL uh, where, where five different DBs have gotten a sack. Wink Martindale, the Ravens coordinator, loves to dial up these blitzes. Um, now that they have Ngakwe, they've got a little more firepower with their pass rush, so, so maybe they rear back on that. Um, but maybe they don't. And the Steelers have a pretty aggressive defense, too, so that should be a fun part of Sunday's game. Is, is uh, Two teams that, that sack quarterbacks at a high rate, but also teams blitz at a high rate and, and do it creatively. It's, it's not like they're just sending the same blitzes time and time again. They're, they're mixing it up and finding different angles to uh, send rushers from. What is, what is the comfort for John Harbaugh of the Justin Tucker factor? You have to imagine it's high. Um, last year, that that Week Four Raven, or Week Five Ravens Steelers game really really turned the tide. Uh, Marlon Humphrey made the big play in overtime for, for the Ravens, but Justin Tucker I think hit a 48 yarder to tie the game, and then hit a 46 yarder to win it in overtime. And and you know how, how many kickers across the league with those pressure situations two kicks over 45 yards? So maybe some kickers make that. Make those kick, make one of those two kicks. Maybe a few kickers typically make both of them. Justin Tucker might be the only guy in the league who you expect to make both almost every single time. He's that good. He's been that good. Um, and their operation that they they don't have that their special teams usually ranked among the best in the league by, by some of the analytics people who, who try and study special teams units. Um, their their snapper and holder are good and. and they have trust there, and because so many Ravens Steelers games are so close, I think seven out of the past ten have been decided by seven points or less. Justin Tucker is going to factor into the game in a big way on Sunday. What was your thought when the Ravens signed Des Bryant to the practice squad? It's interesting. Uh, I, I kind of mentioned before that the Ravens really need some 
diversity in their passing game. They, they don't have a number three option. And Bryant could be that guy. He's the perfect guy to, to kind of give Lamar Jackson a comforting target because uh, he, he was so good at pulling down those contested catches. He'd lob it up to him, and, and he'd use that 6'2", 220 frame to just out-muscle a quarterback, get the ball. Uh, so he seems like he'd be the perfect guy, but all that is based off your evaluation of Des Bryant. You know, from three years ago, he hasn't played a regular season game since 2017. Uh, he, he did sign with the Saints in 2018 and then tore the Achilles, you know, in practice as soon as he signed and hasn't been with the team since. So it'll be interesting to see. The Ravens are tempering expectations. I would not expect them to play uh, on Sunday against the Steelers, though, though I guess anything is possible. Um, but I think the Ravens really want to get him in shape and get him up to uh, up to speed, and, and maybe in a, in a couple weeks that's when he starts making his impact. Um, if he can get back to 75 80% of what he was and he can pull down a tough catch or two in a, in a big spot, that would be a huge plus. Uh, but it just kind of shows you the Ravens are, are willing to peek under any – you can in any crevice to try and you know improve the offense and, and get another playmaker for Lamar Jackson. What are the uh, keys in this game, in your opinion? I really think it's going to come down. Uh, we've talked a lot about the pass rush for both sides. I think whichever offensive line can can protect a quarterback and establish a running game. I think that's key. It's a cliche to say in the trenches, but um, these two teams are the two leaders in the NFL in sacks per game. Um, and they're both offenses, I think, are totally different when, when you establish a running game. So uh, whichever quarterback is, is comfortable and is, is not you know, getting hit over and over again, that guy's going to have a big advantage. So, so to me, the number one key is probably, um, probably pass protection on both sides. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your time and insight, Aaron, very much. Yep. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's, now we'll get the Steeler point of view from Neil Kulong on tomorrow's show. Paul Keels, play-by-play voice of Ohio State next half hour. As we continue, brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Care Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Suit said he was going to drive people to the polls next week. Is that legal? I'm just asking. As long as you don't file them into the booth, there's no problem with that. People do that all the time. In case people don't have a ride and can't do their civic duty. Okay, could you uh, mention that second part again? I think this is where the line gets crossed. Yes. I'm In concerned. fact, we're going to have a story about this tomorrow with the WKOK News. <laughs> that he follows people into the voting booth? I mean, no, on, on uh, poll watchers and making sure that they're actual authorized poll watchers and not right. intimidators. Then the next part is, I mean, the the part where, it's, don't follow me into the booth, and he, he like, slips you five. Like, <sighs> <laughs> yes, that would be it, a little illegal it, there. It said something about keep it fair. I don't know what that means. I've done that in Little League and Babe Ruth games where I've walked to home plate for the home plate meeting and I'll be standing there and I'll, I'll pull out like $10. I'll look at the umpires and go, keep it fair. <laughs> the other man, the other manager looks at you and you go, I said, I'm just kidding. Stop, really, will you lighten up? 
It's a Babe Ruth Little League game, okay? It's not game six of the World Series. <laughs> Have some fun. We need to get back to having some fun. Oh, my goodness. Uh, believe me, I am, uh, when you see everything going on, you know, in sports now, Wisconsin-Nebraska will cancel this weekend. Not postpone, they'll cancel. I was sitting in, uh, you know, Jack and I drove down from Indianapolis to Bloomington. It's an hour drive, maybe maybe a couple minutes more than that. But, you know, how grateful you, you are that, hey, look, it's back and you get a chance to do this again. I've had a lot of businesses that have not been able to do this. And I, I go back to doing the show on, what, March the 11th? And March the 12th? Doing the show that day? And, I, you know, and we were discussing no fans in the stands. And I said, well, look, sports can do this. Is one enterprise that can do this. Now, you're going to lose money doing it because you need fans in the stands. You need to sell the tickets. But you can still present games without fans because of the media component of it, television, radio, whatever it may be. And that's where I've been fortunate that I've been able to go out and be able to broadcast a game, and then the idea now is to broadcast a second game (laughs) on Saturday night because even though the fans unfortunately can't get in there, the uh, it is still everybody has the ability to see it. Now maybe people didn't want to see the final few minutes of the game the other day, but but you still had a chance to see it. I was talking with Jordan Stout today, and I know that his family. Now you shouldn't be doing this, but remember. I believe the number that they're going to allow into the stadium uh, total when it's all said and done, as players, you know, staff, whatever, parents, what is fifteen hundred thirty-eight, something like that. I believe that's the number fifteen hundred thirty-eight. And Jordan Stout told me that his family is actually driving up in an RV to the game. Now, take the Friermuth. You mentioned the Friermuth yesterday. Diane Friermuth, uh, her and her husband, they can't, I don't think they can make trips because of the restrictive rules in Massachusetts on quarantine. I mean, literally, it's, it seems like in Massachusetts, the vast majority of states are on their quarantine list. They have to deal with that, too. I know when I was putting together the trips, that's an area I looked up right away. Okay. What, if any, rules are there for me traveling to Indiana? What, if any, rules are there for me traveling to Nebraska? What, if any, rules are uh, apply to me when it comes to Michigan? What, if any, rules apply to me traveling to New Jersey? So I wanted to make sure that we knew what we were getting into. And that's how careful you have to be in this era about this, about everything. You really cannot take anything for granted. Now, I know on Saturday, for example, we'll need temperature checks at the gate to get in. Okay. Indiana did not require that. Indiana, they just, they checked my bag and I was in. 
No temperature check, anything like that. Penn State, they'll have to, they're doing temperature checks. Paul Keels, next half hour, giving us the Ohio State perspective. Neil Kulong tomorrow, high school roundtable tomorrow. And for ratings' sake, we'll let you know Shikalimi will be represented by the Chief. It's our job to keep the ratings as stable as possible. The one time the Chief missed, I asked a question, and about seven or eight minutes later, the guest was still talking. And Matt just politely potted him down. That's how we got out of it. I don't know. That's... That was good work by you. Taking your calls at 800 795 9565. This is The Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Q, it's 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great, great new inventory to choose from. Great uh, sale on Kia right now. Also, fabulous pre-owned inventory. I mean, sometimes your budget says that's the way you need to go. Some people like having a car that's, quote, broken in. And you can trust it from Sunbury Motors. They're going to go over it before they put it on the lot to sell. I mean, they're going to go over it completely. Fabulous service department, great sales staff, great deals to be had. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. And very quickly, tomorrow on the show, Neil Kulong on the Steelers and our high school football roundtable coming up tomorrow as well. And uh, Rob Motti will be on from the Fanatic on the Eagles-Cowboys scrimmage. A lot of big games in the NFL this weekend. That's not one of them. All right. (laughs) Just kidding. It's your team. Here's your chance to seize control in the division. That's exactly right. <laughs> Honestly, now, I think it's between the Eagles and Washington. Yeah. But I still think the Eagles, if they win, will be completely in the driver's seat and as long as they take take care of the Giants in two weeks from now. i got to buy next week. <laughs> this is the Eagles' division to lose at 2-4-1. Oh, boy. All right. Winner of the division gets a home game in the playoffs. Still true. Tells you something's wrong. All right. Let's go to the great one himself, Oh, great one, wise one, omnipotent one, Paul Keels. Welcome, sir. Great to have you with us. Well, thank you, and I just try to live up to your standards. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's interesting in this schedule because everybody had to get out of the gate with a really good opponent. So normally when I'm talking to a coach, I'll say, hey, in the context of an opening game. So for Ryan Day in the context of an opening game, what did he like and what didn't he like? I think he liked the fact, Steve, first off, that they didn't have a boatload of penalties because that's something that typically can happen in a first game when things get a little ragged. They liked the fact that they played a lot of people. 
um, as it kind of got one-sided in the second half. But really like, for the most part, the way, and hard to argue with Justin Fields playing the way he did, 20 for 21 passing, um, and, and really like the way the defense got disruptive and adjusted after Nebraska had come up with some sizable plays in the first half. So uh, there were all of those things, but he also, and you know how coaches are, like the fact that there's some things that they need to improve on and, and coaching points. When you've had a chance to talk with him, it took a little while for the running game to get in gear. What did he see there? You know, I think it was the way he talked about it, Steve, was uh, running backs and especially the committee of Trey Sermon and Master T just getting used to being tackled. You know, well, the way these summer camps and fall camps and everything have gone, uh, Ohio State probably, like a lot of other people, didn't do a ton of heavy tackling. So kind of just getting adjusted to that. I think they really did like how the offensive line played on the, the line of scrimmage. So maybe you don't see the individual numbers from a single back like J.K. Dobbins spoiled everybody with in the last few years, but just like the way that you know they kind of approached it and, and eventually started to get a little bit of a rhythm there. Yeah, I was one of those guys last year when it came time to running backs. As much respect as I have for Jonathan Taylor, I voted J.K. Dobbins one. Uh, I mean, that's how good I thought. That's how good I thought it was last year. Now the Justin, but, the, the, go ahead, Paul. Uh, yeah, well, and and it was something that really started as a true freshman. Uh, when yeah. Mike Weber was injured, he was able to really assert himself freshman to get on that big role. Uh, Justin Fields, uh, in the Penn State game last year, obviously he threw the ball well. That's a given, but he really hurt Penn State with his feet. Uh, when you look at him, where has where do you and Jim Lachey feel you're seeing a maturation of a quarterback who's in his second year as a starter? You know, Steve, I think a lot of it has to do with a second year with these coaches. Uh, and even though Corey Dennis is a new quarterback's coach, he's been on the staff as a quality control person. So, you know, combine that with, you know, being around Ryan Day, being around everything else. And then when you combine the weapons he has around him, the running backs we talked about, the receivers, whether it's Wilson, Olave, Jamison, Williamson, the freshman receivers who look good, and that ex- that offensive line with significant experience, all of those things I think have made for great comfort for Justin Fields in a second uh, is when you look at the defense, I want to go to the linebackers first because these are essentially these are mostly three-year starters. There, Tough Borland, three-year start, Pete Warner, all right, and then then you know and Browning really was he came back against Penn State last year. He was terrific, I thought. Where have you seen the maturation with them over the last couple of years that turn a good group into a much better group? You know, they had sixty-eight starts among them linebacker going into last Saturday. And and I think, Steve, really it's it's experience number one. It's a second year under this defensive scheme that's been put together with, you know, Kerry Combs coming back here, but then Al Washington and Greg Madison. Because this was a group two years ago in the entire defense that was being roasted because of the big plays they were giving up. So it, it experience, the flexibility, because Pete Werner's moved from one side to the other. Baron Browning had been playing in the middle. Right. He's been put on the outside. So I think it, it, it's experience uh, and, and just that consistency with coaching again. Obviously, uh, you and Jim Lachey will talk about that defense and how they play coverage. They've done a lot of uh, one-high safety. When, the Ohio State coaches, when you've talked with them, what are some of the advantages that they feel they have with one high safety in the three corners out there? Well, it, it gives them the opportunity to move people around into different positions. You know, Sean Wade, who has been a safety, now playing a corner, 
gives them that flexibility. Marcus Williamson is a guy that does that also. Josh Proctor is somebody that they can almost almost play like a big safety, a small linebacker. So uh, it's just kind of that athleticism and some of the size they bring. And that's also where they think guys like Pete Werner as a linebacker can help them with some of what he does in pass coverage too. <clears throat> and and it really it's it's the the revolution of what defenses have had to do against these offenses with the hurry up and, and all of the different things that they put in place. So it, it's just kind of and, and against Steve, this goes they had so many one sided games last year. Uh, yeah. not Penn State, but so many of the other ones where they were able to play so many second and third team guys a lot of reps that that's given them the ability to be ready to plug those guys into those situations just because of their athleticism and, and the way they've reacted to the different things they've seen. A couple of young receivers, uh, Jackson Smith, that's a hyphenated, I'll get the pronunciation by Saturday, and Julian Fleming. Uh, they're be, you know, With Olave and Wilson, they're not going to get as many reps, but how high are they on the young wideouts? Very high. Jackson Smith in Jigba, who made an Thank incredible you. – you're welcome. <laughs> There's weeks of practice that have gone into that. Um, and made an incredible touchdown catch in the back of the end zone that at first was called incomplete and then by review right. was reversed. Uh, Julian Fleming out of Pennsylvania, big receivers. Uh, Mookie Cooper is another guy. And G. Scott, that they really like these guys, not only as receivers, but what they've been able to show them to use on special teams whether it's covering kicks or covering punts. Um, and, and I think it certainly adds to the presence of Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams to be able to have these guys just to give defenses a different look, give everybody a rest every now and then. And, and it just gives Justin Fields that much more of a target. And, and it's even more amazing, Steve, that these guys have shown the way they have. And you consider there was no spring football. Right. Hey, Paul, to you, Master Teague is a, a known entity. But it was your first opportunity to really see Trey Sermon play. What was the initial impression you got of him? You know, we saw him. His first career touchdown came against Ohio Oklahoma? State when he was at Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. he caught a, he caught a pass in the horseshoe. I, anxious to see more. Um, it, they seem to be more similar than they are different. Big physical running backs. Um, you know, we didn't get a chance to see either one of them tear loose on a big breakaway type play, but they took care of the football very well. And you know, some coaches. Love that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm anxious to see more. The guy that, in a really short dose, that showed well was Steel Chambers, yeah. third year sophomore. Got four carries. He showed a little burst coming through the line. So anxious to see more of those guys and just what they can do. I think he had four carries for 32 yards or something like that. You know, something like you know, that. Yeah. Pre- yeah, pretty good. Pretty good burst for him along the way. Uh, what's the impression you're getting around town of what uh, what happened with Penn State last week in Indiana? Well, I think people really understand that it was a game that Penn State should have won. That, uh, you know, a lot of crazy things happened in that football game, obviously. I was a witness. Um, <laughs> as you witnessed, absolutely. Um, so I, I don't think it dims in any way, shape, or form the impression around here of the type of team that Ohio State's going to face. Uh, people experience firsthand the difficulty that Sean Clifford can create. And I think there certainly is a, a great regard for what Penn State traditionally is on defense. So, um, yeah, while, you know, as disappointing as that game must have been over there in State College yeah. and around Pennsylvania, I, you know, I think people understand that it was Penn State's game to win. All right, so now the, the next part deals with our profession. Uh, <laughs> because you know, I have not done a game yet in Beaver Stadium until Saturday night with the place being relatively empty. Uh, I did the game in Indiana, but you and I both know Indiana. With all due respect, I'm not trying, you know, but 
it, it can be a sleepy atmosphere anyway uh, at Indiana. So what was it like for you to sit in that stadium with 105,000 seats and have virtually no one there and try to do the game? It was unusual. Um, not seeing the band come out of the North Tunnel to the stadium, not seeing people tailgate around the stadium, uh, you know, not seeing the football team walk out and block out folks in the south end right. yelling to the head coach. But once the game got going with the artificial noise and the, you know, the few people, the, the families, the players and coaches that were there, you just really kind of got focused. You know, there were, and again, I revert back to last year, Steve, there were so many fourth quarters where there were so few people there because Ohio State right. had such big leads. And it, and it also bears some similarity to some of the spring games experience. So, once you got going, I think being in the stadium and just watching the football team, that brought about a sense of normalcy. Now, this week, since we're going to be doing the game remotely, yeah. not having the privilege of coming to State College, that's going to be a little more of a challenge. But, um, you know, it, it's what everybody in our profession, you know, the, at the professional level has had to do here in the past spring and summer. So, right. um, it, it, and it'll be unusual. Yeah, no, it will be because, in fact, I really gave the exact same answer when somebody else asked me about that. And I said, once the game got going, you're so locked in the field about who's in, who's out, what what sub package is in, that you don't even think about the fact that there's nobody there. It's before the game when you're sitting there looking around going, okay. And it's after the game where you're looking around going, okay. And that's what wouldn't really hit me. Yeah, and and that is going to be the unusual part all year, uh, yeah. going out after the game and seeing parking lots. I mean, usually we see them pretty desolate, but um, it, yeah. before the game is where it was really, really strange. Yeah. Uh, have you ever called any sporting event off a monitor before? No, have not. And, uh, and and I don't mind telling you, oh, great one, I am nervous about doing it. Um, my understanding is we'll get multiple monitors with multiple views, and uh, we'll do the best we can. I, I've joked with uh, friends of mine and said, oh, just give the opportunity to make up more stuff than we usually <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's always the running joke here. You know, with me, you get two games for the price of one, the one you're watching and the one I'm broadcasting. So <laughs> <laughs> i got to remember that one. <laughs> You know, as long as you get an all twenty-two, I think you know. It, it's I. The only thing I ever did on monitor was a couple of swimming and diving meets years ago, but that's it. So I mean, I wish you nothing but the best of. But if anybody can make this happen and make it seem like you're, you're there, it's you and Jim Lachey. So well, thank you. I appreciate that. We will miss getting to see you guys up there yeah. in person, but. Uh... It's, I, I think everybody's anticipating between the lines it's still going to be a very competitive no football. question about it Paul it is always a pleasure my friend we will continue to talk as this season goes sounds good Steve take care Paul Keels the play by play voice of Ohio State football and basketball we will come back wrap it up in a moment brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK when it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all 
applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Well, Mike Krzyzewski of Duke did the right thing in his uh, Zoom press conference at ACC Media Day. He knocked the NCAA on the rule uh, when it when it comes to the number of games this season. He's absolutely right. Felt it from day one. He feels the same way I do. You don't sit there and say, hey, look, you can get the 27 games you play in a multi-team event. Just tell everybody the max you can play is 27 games. However you get there is your business. You want to play in multiple MTEs? Great. You want to play in none? Great. It's whatever you can do to put together a 27-game schedule. And he's right. Uh, There's certain things that don't apply to this situation. It's a different situation. If you feel you can get there, it doesn't really matter how you get to 27. You want to play in three MTEs? That's fine. If you want, I want to play in none, fine. But they should have just said, hey, look, 27 is your max. How you get there is your business. And they didn't do that. They finally did amend it saying you could play in multiple MTEs, multi-team events. But I think he's right about this. But that is the way, that's the way it is right now. Okay. Um... So, Wisconsin-Nebraska canceled. Six student-athletes for Wisconsin tested positive. Six members of the staff tested positive, including head coach Paul Christ. From our understanding, though, Illinois, their opponent last Friday night, did not have a problem. Illinois evidently came out of that game from what we understand, relatively test-wise, unscathed. In order to qualify for the division championship, Wisconsin and Nebraska must each play six games. So they're not anywhere near that level yet because there are still eight games left in the regular season. You know, because you have to include that ninth game at the end. There's still eight games left, and they have one down, so they have to get a minimum of five more to qualify. Let's see how this plays out over the next few weeks. Uh, last weekend, I don't think there was. I don't think there were any postponements last weekend. Correct? I don't think there were any. Right? I don't recall any. Right, so obviously, this is one. The problem is for the six student athletes who tested positive for Wisconsin. Those six are out three weeks. It's 21 days. So, that is, uh, it feels like, 
when they, they so I'm going to do this in two parts, one pro, one con. The con is that I like the fact that there were no bye weeks put into the schedule. Obviously not. Was I hoping they would start October 17th so they could get a buy-in? Yes. Do I like the 21-day rule? No. But in order to play, everyone had to agree to the 21-day rule. So if that means you're playing, I accept it. Uh, in order to get going with the 21-day rule and start antigen testing on September 30th, that's why I think I think that's a big reason why they put the 21-day rule in. So maybe if you went through September 30th, you tested positive, you still could play in the opening game of the season. If that's what it took to play this season, fine. Again, not you know, on the surface, not crazy about it. But if that means playing or not playing. I'll accept it every time the fact that they're playing. See where I'm going here? Now, I may not be completely in agreement with the idea of some of this, but I am completely in agreement that if that's what it takes for them to say yes, then all of us will follow and they'll do it. It's more important to me that they play. But now the you're looking at what six student athletes they had to sit out the three weeks. What's been interesting, Steve, in both for the NFL and for college football, everyone was so worried about should players wear a face mask in their shield for their helmet because of, of fear of transmission with COVID. That hasn't been the case yet at all when we've had a major outbreak break with the Titans and several other outbreaks in college football. The other team hasn't had anything yet from that because they played them simply from playing football. Well, again, Very interesting. I mean, again, if, if, it mean, if there's a 21-day rule and it means you can play, I'm there. If it's... Um, Starting the 24th as opposed to the 17th, because that, that's the one way that they say you can play, then I'm for that too. I'm talking idealistically, would I prefer something else? Sure. But if this means you can play, believe me, you, you'll say yes to it every single time. So this is what Wisconsin has to live with it, because this is how what everybody agreed so they could play. All right, high school roundtable tomorrow and Neil Kulong.